Hello and welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely and a world given back to us. We are here in the podcast studio. Um, Jason, Wade, and Mike fresh out of the showers. <laughs> and uh, sorry, that's a reference to the previous episode for those who haven't listened. Um, and we are joined in the studio with a very esteemed guest um, who I think is really going to carry this episode for us. So we're happy to have her with us. I believe second time on the podcast, if that's correct. Don't say who you are yet. Yeah, that's yes. right. Yes. <clears throat> um, so first, we'll see if everybody knows that voice. So you can go through your head and think. And uh, Michael, why don't you say who's with us? Uh, this is Abigail Berg, my eldest. No oh, I was going to say. No relation. Any relation to no you. Relation. Yeah, you ruined it. <laughs> okay. Abigail, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, Nothing that, like, too much information where someone's going to, like, steal your social security number or anything. Oh, dang it. Okay. Um, so I'm a freshman at WLC. Good college right here. Yeah, it's okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm majoring in psychology and music and theology. That's ambitious. Very <laughs> ambitious. Technically, I've not been accepted as a major okay, to the theology I am department. Hoping to major. <laughs> Planning on majoring. You know whose signature you need for that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the uh, um, so freshman here, uh, Abigail. As I've said, at least once we may have re- recorded multiple episodes that night at your house. I think. Yeah, I like came on and answered a question and then left. We were so at your kitchen was, table. I remember yeah. it was an indoor episode, not uh. When we yeah. were outdoors with all the gnats. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, so we're happy to have Abigail with us. Um, Abigail, how would you describe Jason's outfit? Um, professional or unprofessional? Um, not unprofessional. In <laughs> the middle, you. casual. It's Friday. It is Friday. Casual Friday. Yeah. So, so this, okay. uh, for listeners, that gives you uh, kind of how to gauge mm-hmm. Abigail's opinions throughout the episode, where she falls. Mm-hmm. Um, on the previous episode we recorded just behind, before this, I would say I was more judgmental. Jason, is that fair? Slightly, slightly um, more judgmental. And so we're going to keep the intro under nine and a half minutes, which is what the last <laughs> intro went. And this, the last episode, which we recorded, and hopefully these two will come out somewhat close together, was on Galatians 5. During J-term, I'm teaching Pauline Epistle, so that was supposed to be the My Wheelhouse one. This semester, or this uh, J-term, Michael is teaching Theology of Worship in Abigail, I believe is taking theology of worship. Yes. Um, so this one is going to be in, in your guys' wheelhouse, or at least I don't know if you've gotten to this point in the semester with Abigail, or the J-term, the keep seeing semester. So you may or may not be expert on this. We'll find out. And uh, Jason, you've said a mass or two, haven't you? You've Once done or a twice. liturgy. Yep. Yep. The, um, and so we're going to be talking about uh, law and gospel in the divine service, and we'll unpack more of those terms as we go. We are part of the... 1517 podcast network encourage you to check out 1517.org and uh, you can find there lots of great resources uh, devotions articles um, free academy courses books I have you have a book Michael is that true I do have have you read his book no (laughs) not yet he uh he tried to call me out Amanda messaged me too and it's like nice line on the podcast when you asked if I read your book and I said mostly yeah <laughs> and, uh, I'll, I'll say there's a, a circuit in the Fox Cities that's reading your book right now for it. yeah I know but uh, they're reading it for their for their circuit studies this 
year. It sounds like Wade's not a part of that circuit. <laughs> it not. sounds like he that. Jason is kissing up the department head. Have you read it? N- I've started it. I've not, <laughs> gotten, <laughs> I, I've not gotten through it because then my other department mate gave me a couple other books that I was supposed to read. So. Uh, um, but you can get Michael's book there, Michael's Academy course. Um, 1517.org. Um, we're going to have a free-for-all, just like the last free-for-all. Um, they don't know what's coming for this, although it did kind of come out of us brainstorming beforehand. Um, so with that in mind, uh, going to talk about Long Gospel and the Divine Service. You're listening to Let the Bird Fly. In the studio, Michael, Jason, Wade, and Abigail. Um, we will make our way to the disclaimer. Uh, is Abigail going to read this? I see you've put the disclaimer before her. This show doesn't speak for our churches, our church bodies, or our employers. To be honest, much of the time it probably doesn't speak for us. We will be thinking out loud, a lot, so approach what you hear with a healthy skepticism. Skepticism? Because, well, as a responsible resident of planet Earth, that's probably what you should generally do with almost everything. If you find yourself getting too worked up, tune out, look around, and realize you are just listening to a podcast. That's right, a podcast. So go live free, friends, and don't let us get in the way. And that brings us to our free-for-all where we talk about the pressing issues of the day. And we uh, were discussing possible free-for-all topics. Um, We have a list and didn't quite land on anything. Part of the reason is some of the list we've been told not to do. Um, I I still like favorite thing that gives you cancer. I would like to do that one. Uh, It's kind of like the, uh, I think the only episode we've been told by I believe it was more Ben than Ben and Peter that we can't do is one that Peter and I always have wanted to do. Or maybe you said we can't do it. Do you remember what that is? Mm-mm. Legalization legalization of marijuana. <laughs> yeah, I just think that's, uh, that's probably... Uh, you would have to be the guy who's against it, I think. Well, I'm not saying where I, I land on that. I'm just saying... You're against it. That I, I'm not, but uh, it just... So it's you're just, for it. I, well, I didn't say that either. <laughs> I'm just saying that that's probably not... Uh, as my as my wife's family would say, uh, the juice is not worth the squeeze on that one. <laughs> I bet Jason's against it. Is there a strong legalize it movement in Nina? There, there is not that I've seen. Yeah. So, anyways, and mostly I don't care, so <laughs> I I would not be passionate about that free for all. So some of the free for alls. What I'm trying to get at is, maybe a little controversial. So we're I. As we were brainstorming, um, I believe Abigail mentioned something, and I, in my head I combined that with something else, and I think it's a, a less controversial free-for-all. So, there is calamity that's going to happen unless you do this thing that I'm going to propose. You have to kick the baby form of an animal as hard as you can, like it's a, like it's a corner kick in soccer with spin on it. In fact, you have to try to kick this baby animal as a corner kick into a net. Hmm. It has to be an animal that does not normally like attack humans. An animal that we're overall friendly with. And it's baby form. 
Does this make sense so far? So it can't be like a sh- baby shark because sharks eat people. <laughs> can't even be a baby bear um, because bears might attack. It can be something like a like a chihuahua might bite a person, but they're not a predator. So it could be a, a puppy chihuahua. I will say for certain animals, you can't even pick a breed if you want to. If you don't do this, something terrible, the most terrible thing you can... Packers win the Super Bowl. Oh. Like, um, who would like to go first? I'll go. I was going to say a baby Johnston. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh. anim- well, yeah, kind of animals. <laughs> Rabbit. Ooh, that's a good one. Bun- it, you could even call it a bunny if you want. But I could kick that. And that's what you would pick? I mean, you that's would, you would, would feel the least torn about kicking a right a baby rabbit. Yep. What do you call a baby rabbit? Bunny, right? You, you could call it a bunny. bunny. Whatever you want to call it. If that makes it sound more cute and Do you think you could uh, <clears throat> you think you could put it in the net? On a corner? Yeah. Not, you not bend it like Beckham? No, not on a corner. <laughs> who do you think in this room, Abigail, out of the three adult males, who do you think would be who just in regular soccer, at their current age and in their current shape, could could have the best corner kick? Do you know what a corner kick is? Um, yeah. Who would you Who would you say? I know my answer. It's pretty clear. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know. I think it'd be your dad. I maybe. Yeah, I, I'd say Jason. Jason. Jason's really the only. Anymore. Jason was the only uh, college athlete in the in the room. <laughs> yeah. We should try this sometime. Okay, so Jason's got Bunny. Yeah. Uh, Abigail Possum. or Michael? Possum. Just because they're ugly. Okay. And and they're um, yeah, mostly because they're ugly, but they are, I would say, more pest than anything else. I raccoon. See, I think, I I think possums get a bad rap. I That's think true. they're possum, 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 raccoon. Any any of those kind of. I actually, you know, what animal I really dislike right now is uh, chipmunks. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So I'm not. You know, I'm kind of indifferent about squirrels. Abigail. <laughs> um. Now I feel bad for like saying this, but I don't really particularly like dogs. So, <laughs> but I might want to change my answer now. But I guess I I'd, mean, I'd rather kick a cat than a dog. I would agree with that. No. But but it has to. It, it would depend on the breed of the dog as well. Right. True. Don't say pit bull because we're gonna get a lot of angry listeners. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't like dogs. I also don't like birds, but like birds can fly, so that doesn't. Well, not all birds fly well. You, could, I bet you could a chicken. You could probably get chicken, maybe. But yeah. Oh, I'd kick a goose. <laughs> no, oh, don't that's a kick good a one. Goose. That's probably goose the best will kick one. you back. I, that's right, yeah. and that's why it makes it better. <laughs> but because it's a baby it's like goose. A fight. It's like a fight. <laughs> it's like, a fight. You know, be, like this is that would be a good one, right? This like. You're like, oh, that animal didn't do anything. The geese do stuff to us. That's yeah. true. Yep. Okay. That's actually a very Do you good think answer. you could beat a goose in a fight? Oh, we've I don't we've I done this as a free problem. I don't think I could beat anything in a fight. but uh, <laughs> I think any of us could eventually beat it, but I think you would take a beating in order to do it. Yep. Yeah. You just get its neck. And... Yeah. <laughs> I have a brilliant answer. I kick a turtle. What? Yeah? What did a turtle oh, ever nice. do to you? You'd it break, turtle just it slide. You'd break your foot. Yeah. He would. 
kick its underbody. <laughs> He's <laughs> sacrificing himself here yep. and not and doing right. the least amount of damage. You're monsters. Oh, I forgot. <laughs> There's like yeah. puppies. I think, I think we got set up. Oh, <laughs> we got set but up. like you know those like little white dogs, and they always just look super dirty and gross. <laughs> They're small. They like even like if it's an adult. Mm, I don't Is know. Is she on freeze? I don't know. They're just like little. Schnauzer? They look like rats. Hmm. They're they're all they like stay a rat small. Terrier? I'd, I'd kick I'd kick a rat. Like Paris Hilton used to have in her purse yeah. back in the day? Yeah, something like that. They just always look so gross. I would kick it. You know what I think is the most them. disturbing one is, is the possum. I feel like possums. <laughs> I saw a possum in our they front can't even, yard They don't time. get rabies normally. They eat mm. ticks and all kinds of other stuff. They're kind of cute. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, a koala bear. Because what? they're actually pretty pretty rough oh. animals. are pretty nasty. Yeah, Aren't they, they always have a lot of diseases. Because they're eating the... And dolphins. Yeah. They eat the dolphins are... But Pretty mean. Dolphins are kind of gross. Yeah. yeah. Dolphins like... we've talked about before. <laughs> <laughs> well, I still think I had the best. You did. You got <laughs> set up yeah. there. Okay. Um, I, my second was going to be armadillo. Oh, yeah. Oh, I love armadillos. It's illegal to have an armadillo as a pet in the United States. Every state? I, at least I Wisconsin. Florida, most states. That's another one we have to do a free-for-all. Where we just Google, have you ever done the Florida game where you Google your birthday? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then you see what it says Florida Man did that day? I forgot day. what mine was. Florida what? So. You've never seen like the headlines of like. So like, uh, don't, you know, probably don't want to say your birthday like live or whatever, but you could write it down for me. Well, I'll do my birthday. Um, this is different than the Florida, Ohio game. So I'm going to put my birthday and then I'm going to put Florida. You don't even have to put Florida Man. And the first thing that comes up is Florida man okay, gotcha. jumps yeah, into okay. crocodile pit, gets bit, <laughs> claims something. Very nice. I like it. All right, claims I will he do. was held captive. Wait, during during the uh, during the break, which we're going to go to very shortly, I will do my birthday. Okay. Well, no, Abigail's I just did right your now. birthday. But is, what does he get? Um, it's a Florida resident with Florida tattooed on his forehead. Forehead is charged with burglary. So he has a literal. It's Florida right between his eyes <laughs> on his forehead. <laughs> Look at Jason, good. one finger type, trying to figure out his. Right. <laughs> He'll have it <laughs> in like 20 minutes. Uh, look at him go. <laughs> <laughs> The, uh, it looked like my mom texted uh, the grandkids. I thought I had uh, till the break, so I thought I had it's probably, plenty of You time. got carpal tunnel, is that? <clears throat> the, uh, all right, well, I think that was a fruitful free-for-all <laughs> topic. You know who would have been good on that one? Ben, I think. Ben, ben would have been good. Yeah. All right. Well, with that, we'll make our way into the main topic. And that brings us back for our main topic, which is Law and Gospel and the Divine Service. If you haven't listened before, we have a whole Bing in it series on the Divine Service, which I would still say, Michael, is the one I get the most comments about that people found helpful. Um, so you can go back. There's a Wing in it series on that. That was before the Luther series, before the Church History series. That may have been the first Wing in it series. Um, but we're going to talk more generally today 
about law and gospel in the divine service. And I'll maybe throw out, like, contextually, um, I've heard rumors. I've never seen it confirmed, but but sometimes sermons are bad. Mm-hmm. Right? Sometimes it's just mm-hmm. a, a uh, why do we say a dog of something in a bad way? This is like an Abigail expression. You know, <laughs> dog of a sermon. Right? Kind of um, gross. Uh, but if you're um, at a church that is following the Western right, you probably still can't say that you left without the gospel, right? Um, the same as you may get a sermon uh, that's a bunch of affirmation, but not a lot of law. You probably can't say that you left without hearing the, the law. Um, so law and gospel and the divine service. And maybe first I'll toss it out to whoever wants to jump in um, to explain what in the world do we mean by the divine service or what else we might I joked with Jason before that he said a mass or two. Then there were probably some Lutherans that were like, a mass, that's Catholic. <laughs> right? Even though our confessions talk about the mass as the, as the service. And we just celebrated what on December 25th, Wade? Uh, Christmas divine service. Yeah, Christ, Christ mass. All right, I should have said mass. Christ divine service. Yeah. So I, we used to have a, 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 a poster up here. Instead of saying, keep Christ in Christmas, I said, keep the mass in Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we, uh, when we had to move studios, we lost a lot of debt. We lost the whole meme we wall. Did. That was on me. We had to get out quickly. and. Uh, I had made a lot of good memes. Yeah. We'll start over. It's good to be fresh. I would describe them as a uh, as dang. Yeah. Can I can I give you uh, three definitions That's really quick? Say. Can I give three definitions before we go forward? Would Is that, that be okay, okay? Jason? Sounds good. Yes. Okay. Uh, can you do me a favor and on your phone write down these? Type in these three <laughs> definitions he gives. We don't, <laughs> <And then laughs> clearly, we don't have enough time for and that. And at the end of the episode, we'll see if you have them in yet. Go ahead, Mike. Um, so you asked a definition of the divine service. Um, one of the first things we do in uh, the theology of Christian worship class is to say that worship is actually the worst uh, word to describe Sunday morning. So that's kind of seems counterproductive. But uh, worship kind of implies that we show we're showing worth to someone or something, and and the arrow is going the wrong way. The arrow is primarily going from man to God, and so the Godestines or the the divine service, which can go both ways, right? This is God's service to us primarily, but it is also our service that is beyond us, a divine service that we participate in in as the Christian church. So the divine service is probably a better uh, way to describe uh, Sunday morning in the church, but the classic divine service uh, comes out of the synagogue and uh, the Seder Passover meal and probably makes its way through the uh, historical uh, markers like the Didache, a little bit of the Byzantine rite, eventually what we call the Roman rite, the Deutsche Messe, and then most familiar with us English speakers, the Book of Common Prayer. So if you're in a Roman Catholic, uh, Lutheran, Presbyterian, Episcopalian, um, classic Reformed church, you are going to be familiar with much of the, uh, of the divine service. So for instance, the Lord's Prayer, three readings, a sermon, a creed, singing holy, 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 singing um, glory to God in the highest, uh, Lord have mercy, the Lamb announcements. Of God. Yeah, the announcements, like what? what's the weather today? When is the latest chili cook-off? Story about yes, my kids. Yes, um, all of those things. Um, let, let's define law and gospel really quick. Uh, we might define law as the, the will of God and the gospel as the good news of salvation, but I prefer to add what does the law and gospel do and what does the law and gospel say? The law shows me my sin primarily. The gospel shows me my Savior. 
the law to uh, channel uh, Luther and Heidelberg. The law says do this, and it is never done. And so we are shown that we, it is impossible for us to be righteous by this law. And the gospel says believe this, and it is already done, right? A righteousness by faith that we are righteous by, by Christ. So the divine service um, and law and gospel, um, I think primar primarily we have to ask the question, well, where's the arrow going? Is the arrow going from God to man or from man to God? It's going to go both ways, but what's the primary action? And I think that that is very helpful as you then decide, uh, is this proper and good for us to do on Sunday morning or is it not? Yeah. I'm being very meta right now. You see what I'm doing, Michael? Yeah, that's nice. I'm, I'm watching Michael while watching Michael. And with a with a phone case that Michael recommended. Yes. Yeah. I, I was uh, checking something. I was looking for this picture yeah. because it's one of my favorites. And uh, I saw a nice epiphany message that people should check out on St. John McGuanago's website. Oh, thank you. Um, but yes, I didn't mean to interrupt. You're still going? Or? Nope. That's, I just wanted to give those definitions before we go further and say, well, maybe, maybe to uh, Jason and maybe to Wade, to you as pastors, and you were conducting this divine service for over a decade for both of you. Um, where did you, why, how did you think about law and gospel and the divine service as a ministry to your people of law and gospel? Sure. Um, if we can just backtrack one quick second. Um, some people with the mention of maybe worship not being how you would first want to talk about this, since that is maybe something in our circles that people do here. Um, what a, uh, what's a good way to ask this without some... I mean, we were stuck with the word, and that's fine. I just don't think it's a very good English translation of the concepts of worship that we see in the Old and New Testament, right. and it c carries baggage with it that needs explanation. Well, and what I'm getting at is if we're talking law and gospel and the divine service, um, what, where does worship, just given it, where is it almost always going to end up? It's always going to end up in the law. Right. I mean, and th that's the danger. And whether it be laws on this is what you have to do, or arguments about there is no law on, on what we... Yeah, we and that's a good point yeah. when we speak about like adiaphora, which is something that's neither commanded nor forbidden in the Bible. And so we, we argue about, okay, can we do this? Should we do this? All that kind of stuff. Adiaphora is always going to be in the realm of the law. And at some point you have to, as a, as a, as a ministry or as a pastor or whatever, you want to get, you have to say... This is only part of the great big picture, right? And we want to add the, where's the gospel gift here? So, for instance, we'll say, yes, it is, it is adiaphora that it's neither commanded nor, nor forbidden that you go to church every single time there's a church service at your parish. But the bigger question is, this is God's good gifts to you, right? You should never actually even get to that question of adiaphora. And I think that's maybe what you're after a little bit here, too. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> we're just kind of talking definitions yet. You know, do you think that, I mean, I think that that word is especially challenging in our American context, right? As far worship, but do you think, do you think it was the English word worship that influenced our American culture and context or that, or do you think it was that from our American 
culture and context that that has become a particularly challenging definition or term? Yeah, I would say probably the latter, right? Um, and what do we mean by our American culture? Well, we would, if, if we would say, what's the default religion of America, we would probably say pietism, which is going to privilege the spiritual over the physical. It's going to privilege the subject over the objective. It's going to privilege the individual over the institution. Um, and uh, if we picked a default theology, it would probably lean a little bit, probably more Arminian, maybe sometimes reform, but probably more Arminian. Again, individual choice, all those kinds of things. So if it's, it's not, the primary emphasis is not on God coming to me in a very physical, objective way. Here is baptism. Here is the word of God. Um, and, and just a kind of a distrust of institutions, not just like of the monarchy of old Europe, but also the churches of, of, of old Europe. Um, you could see that it's a worship, even though it's a collective thing, is also a very individual thing, right? Where I am, um, I'm, I am worshiping God. I am worshiping God. Um, I mean, I, I think that the main issue that I have is the subject of the sentences, I, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. And and then when we look at Romans chapter 12, where Paul actually gives us a definition of a uh, spiritual act of worship, it is being a living sacrifice out in the world. And so a lot of times I'll, I'll say, Sunday morning's forgetting. Right. Uh, worship is Monday through Saturday in your vocations. Yeah, it, so maybe more seriously, I wasn't really looking for that picture of you before, um, but I was looking up just a couple of different, <laughs> a couple of different churches um, that are in my Facebook feed to see when they're saying, like, at 9 o'clock on whatever, we're mm -hmm. going to have this thing. And so I notice um, the church I referenced before tends to say service, mm -hmm. right? Um, you'll see some of the churches say worship. Um, what about that word service? So we have worship, mm -hmm. right? Um, and so we say divine service, worship service. Um, and they can be understood. You mentioned, right, the horizontal and mm -hmm. the vertical. But what about when it is um, just thrown out as one word, service, do you think there needs to be, or do you think there ought to be something that comes before that word? Or well, I just think in our, in our regular day, use of the word service, it almost has no meaning, right? Service just could mean it's such a ubiquitous term that it probably, I mean, what do you mean? Like, you could mean getting your tires rotated. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So... Um, yeah, divine service. I, I, I don't like any of those terms, to be honest with you. And when you think about it, it's kind of one of those things where it's like, I think there's a lot going on that, that we don't really appreciate and it's so profound that it's very hard to label it as a, with one word, right? I mean, you're thinking heaven and earth are crashing together. You're, you are thinking about a word and meal that, uh, the, this very basic things of speaking and eating that the way God had has has created us and how He wants to interact with us, um, coming into the presence of God, um, and we should be flicked away, and yet we have this baptismal relationship of father and child with it, and so I mean it, it's really an emotional, profound thing. I just don't don't know if you can label it. Yeah, and just even with asking, I guess part of me is just wondering because I probably, you know, I would. Uh, an official stuff, I'd say God's service, but I probably throw out service all the time too. And I wonder the average person, whether it be a parishioner, student, whatever, um, where their mind goes with that word service. Right. Like I, I would, I would guess um, most often it goes to 
this is me putting in my time. Yeah, you know, this sure. is my service to God. Yeah, and and I think you know. God, Whereas almost always, otherwise, when you talk about service, it is actually you receiving things. So getting your yeah. tires done. Yeah. Now I suppose you're paying for it, right. but it's it's something. Someone's <clears throat> doing something that either you can't or you don't don't know how to do yourself or you don't have time. So it almost always is a receiving word. Otherwise. Yeah. But I wonder if, you know, it isn't often when we yeah. talk about it with church. Well, and divine service does go both ways, right? It right. is our service as a community to do for each other and for the world. Um, and yet it is primarily God to us, right? I, I think that the biggest issue is, uh, is God a narcissist or not? Are we going to Sunday morning because we need to kiss his ring because he, he needs his little minions to come and boost his ego? Um, is that is that how God is I'm intended? Minions, yeah, <laughs> is this how God intended to have a relationship with us? And I just don't think that's I just don't think that's the case. And the the example I use right away is Grandma going to Grandma's house for Thanksgiving. Do you remember that? Yeah. Why don't you explain it to the to the to the larger audience? <laughs> um. So. Good Grandma and bad Grandma. So, okay. Well, now I don't want to get it wrong. So. Like when you go to your grandma's house for Thanksgiving and you're there, you're supposed to be there to like be with your family and grandma's there and she wants you all to be together and she wants to feed you and to, you know, like, I guess, be a, like a good host and like. She wants to give you good gifts. Yeah. yeah. Um, but she doesn't, she doesn't really, it's not something where she expects you to like well, like, do something in return or, like, um, what was the... I mean, she's not, she doesn't, the, the, the analogy I use is she backs out of the kitchen with a 12-pound turkey and puts it in the center of this beautifully displayed table, and then she sits on her table that or her chair that's a little bit higher than everybody mm-hmm. else, and then you all come around and kiss her ring. Yeah. If that's your <coughs> Thanksgiving, you have a bad grandma, <laughs> right? Um she doesn't care about your thank you notes. She wants you to be there. Mm-hmm. And she wants her family to get along for one afternoon, right? right. And I, don't, I think, it's not to be too cheesy, but I think that's how God is operating. He wants to give you good gifts. And he does want you to go out into the world and be decent human beings. And then I say, but you still say thank you to grandma, right? Yeah. Yeah, because you're not a jerk. Yeah. Because grandma made you to not be a jerk. She, mm-hmm. she as the matriarch of this family, hopefully had influence. So are we naturally going to say thank you and to praise God? Yeah. But that's, I didn't go to Sunday morning so that God could hear me say how great he is. I went there to get good gifts from God. And then the natural thing, much like the natural good works flow from the gospel, the natural good works are that I praise, praise, and give thanks. And then the next question becomes, how gracious is our God? Does he take the offerings and deposit them into a celestial bank account? Does he accept the, the gifts? And I would say no, he pushes it all back down upon us because the prayers, the songs, the offerings benefit us, not him. And I use the analogy of a, a waterfall. So the waterfall comes crashing down upon me. On the last episode, you talked about God's love being dammed up, right? It shouldn't be dammed up if it flows out. 
And so I could try my, my best to live my whole life trying to please God. I take the love that he has given to me and it pours, I put it into a bucket and try to throw it back up into heaven, but it just comes back down upon me. I should concentrate more about redirecting that flow of love, that flow of water to my neighbor, right? Hence Romans chapter 12 in worship. So when I sing glory to God in the highest, is God, uh, is, is, does God benefit from that? No, he sort of wrote the song already. Who benefits from it? Well, I do and the people next to me, much like I benefit from prayer. God does not benefit from my prayer, right? So the back and forth is building a relationship, and it turns out everything ends up being gospel. Even my divine service to God really benefits others and myself. God's that loving of a God that he pushes it back down upon us. And so I think those are kind of like the primary law and gospel themes that we try to lay out when we talk about the divine service. Okay, so if I can go off that a bit. Um, so we've talked about divine service, worship service, service, and how the those terms influence what we see taking place there. Um, and that what is taking place primarily is God serving us, but then that spills over to others. Um, if the divine service then is, is formative, um, and maybe even to a degree definitional for the Christian life, um, and not only then teaches us how to re- receive gifts and then share gifts. How to speak. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But it teaches us, um, and not only how we relate to God in um, in uh, first article or um, second article ways, but in Christ how we're saved, <clears throat> but how we stand before God existentially, right? That I always stand before God in two ways. Um I stand before God as the sinner who rightly deserves to be condemned, and I stand before God as the saint um, who can say that he is, is blameless, right? Even as David could say it, you'll have like a penitential psalm, and then you're reading in a little bit a new psalm, and David's like, I'm blameless in your sight, and you're like, wait, like, you just wrote a whole psalm about like committing adultery and murdering someone. <laughs> we we kind of know what you did, David. Yeah. yeah. So my thought with this then is to maybe unpack if we're if we're getting um, at the existential aspect of it and not existential like in the sense of philosophical sense of Sartre or whatever, but but as I actually experience as I exist and experience God, right? Um, we then see parts of a liturgy, I would say, that are law, parts that are gospel, and parts that are both depending on where I'm at at the moment, right, if that makes sense. Um, for instance, if your church has a crucifix, which hopefully it does, right, but um, that can't be taken for granted. We, we won't get into that now. Um, but that crucifix can be both law or gospel depending on where I stand, how I've come to church. Um, I can see law there. Um, look how serious my sin is. I put Christ there, and I keep sinning. What is wrong with me? Um, but I can see gospel. He's there for me. What um, I guess I'd throw out for any of you first, um, to what extent is the divine service law and gospel like a sermon is law and gospel? And to what extent um, is the law and gospel, or is the divine service law and gospel in a sense of a, a model for what the Christian experience of God always will be the side of heaven. I don't know if either of those makes sense, but. I, 
so well the first one i think you know is a little bit easier to i think wrap your mind around a little bit in the sense of you know there are parts that proclaim you know the um the message of you know sin and its consequence right um and and you can pick that apart and and kind of label each with a with an l or a g and sometimes you know it's within the same and that's kind of what i'm getting right? at is we we sometimes want to neatly do that but yeah. yeah but you know i mean you talk about um you know i i mean if you're if you're including confession and absolution as part of it you know all the confession part is pretty easy to put an l and the the absolution is pretty easy to put a g but if you get some of those you know canticles or things like that well you're maybe bouncing back from one phrase to the next from one phrase to the next where there are different components that you say well there's maybe some primary law emphasis here and but the next is primarily a gospel emphasis and um you know so i don't know if that's kind of what you're looking well, at yeah, or you're looking and for I, I think that leads into the second I, I, I think it's somewhat what i'm trying to ask and i'm not asking well right is is why is it that some of those are so intertwined you know you mentioned the bouncing back like the Anya's day mm-hmm. could be both and like the lines you know um take away the sins of well that's mine but right this is um, or the, um, the Sanctus, the Holy, 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 sounds terrifying, right? Um, and in the context of Why isn't the whole service was, just like right? the model of confession and absolution where we go, yeah. clearly law, <clears throat> clearly gospel, and right? why does anything follow it? I would say confession and absolution is maybe the most sermonic in the sense of what people think of a, of a preacher doing for a sermon, but... Um, yeah, I don't know how to ask it better. But. Well, I, maybe what I was thinking when you were, were rephrasing that was, we th- I know you like, don't like to talk about the attributes of God, but let's just, let's just uh, keep it to the omnis, right? Omnipresent, omniscient. Whatever. That's terrifying. Um, <clears throat> that he would know everything, that he would be everywhere, and that he would be all-powerful. Unless the relationship is father-child. And so it's it's a baptismal thing. So from the very beginning, right? I mean, even though the invocation was, seems to be more of a, a later addition to, to the divine service. Although I don't know how much we can really, really, really figure out when things became universal or somewhat universal, but it was baptized into this name, father, son, and spirit. And we end with the ironic blessing number six that God put, God said to Abraham or Aaron, put, Put this name on these people. This is you. They belong to me. You brand them, so to speak. Um, and that relationship that means I'm coming into the presence of God, and there still is fear, but it's still a loving relationship, right? Because it's a father relationship. And then that baptismal life that we have. It is a heartbeat kind of life, a law gospel, and and quite frankly, the um, a, a shallow law it means a shallow gospel and a shallow heartbeat. And and the more you appreciate the the law, the more you appreciate the gospel, and uh, the heartbeat is stronger. And so, uh, just think about the the cross placed upon you at baptism. That symbol is a dual meaning. It means that you are saved. Your mark is one uh, redeemed by Christ crucified, but you're going to bear a cross too. 
right? And that it's going to challenge your faith, and it's going to uh, um, that that that's that's a part of part of the life. I I think. I think and, and along those ahead. lines, and, and and you can unpack this more as you want to go. I guess what I'm getting at with that, and, and you're drawing it out, is you know we don't just end with confession and absolution and say, mm-hmm. okay, child of God, all good. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sermon, even the Lord's Supper, um, which I'm only going to because I'm in need of grace, right? Um, maybe I'm getting at the symbol. Is, maybe I, I maybe I'm, I'm getting at the symbol that this is not. Um, I, I wonder. It, it, tell me if this is kind of, you know, something to where you know you see these things, you know, interspersed back and forth, back and forth, and in, in all these different ways, and sometimes very closely intertwined. And yet, it, I mean, modeling that in a sense that you know it's not necessarily neat and tidy and carved up that way, because you know, life, life as a Christian isn't necessarily neat and tidy and carved up that way either. And, and, you know, you have, um, you know, um, the, at, sometimes at the same moment, you know, needing an aspect of law on the one hand and gospel on the other, right? I mean, is, I don't know if that's quite the direction that no, you're... No, I think it's getting at it. I mean, in, in this life that we're... I mean, I, did you ever have maybe confirmation student or someone, uh, just a, an, an honest member with a, a question, which is always good to have, you know, uh, if we get forgiveness in the absolution or the sermon, why have yep. the supper? Yep. Right? Um, or if we get absol- absolution in the absolution, why have the sermon? Um, and, right, is there something to how the divine service is structured that we, I mean, even when we leave... Um, even when the ironic benediction is is spoken, we know we're coming back. Like it's not a thing we're done with. And it's not a thing that we're not done with because we didn't give God enough, right? Um, and yet it is a complete thing. Like we, we don't leave as, as 75% children of God. Um, I, I think, Michael, you've talked about before when we've, when we talk about the... Um, or how do you put it? The divine service is the life of Christ, and then mm-hmm. the church here is the. Or, and the, the the divine service, you can see it as the life in Christ, and told in poetry and prose. And then and the life of the church, though, is told. Or, it's uh, told, you know, it's uh, the 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 life of the church, or the church here tells the story of Christ as well, from Advent yeah. all the way to Pentecost. Yeah. And so, um, I, I guess maybe what I'm getting at is, um, why is this thing? Um, Never done. Yeah, let me let me let me maybe add one more comment and see if that that sort of triggers something with you. But so again, the baptismal, I'm I'm brought into the I am brought into the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Right, this is a baptismal life, and I think of the the worship service. So so one thing I'll do is I'll, I'll draw on the board uh, uh, what I think it means to be Christocentric. Like everybody's like, yes, our worship is Christocentric. Our life is Christocentric. And I'll draw a circle with a cross in the middle, and I say this is what most people mean, that Christ is in the center as they dance around it. Once in a while, they say, yeah, Christ, and they use words like foundation and whatever, but they're really just living their lives, and, and there's a veneer of Christianity there. What, what, I, what I think what, to be truly Christocentric is, is that um, you are pulled into Christ so that the circle, you can't see it, but the circle is 
is the circle is 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 getting closer as you're pulled into Christ. So he pulls you into his death and resurrection. So again, Romans chapter twelve, you are a living sacrifice. Your your old man dies, and a, a new person person arises. So the worship service is is very much being pulled into Christ, right? So I'm pulled into the story of Christ. Um, so I'm going to sing the Christmas song at his birth. I'm going to wave my prom branches when I sing Hosanna in the highest. I'm going to look at the cross and say, behold, the Lamb of God. I'm going to eat with him an Easter experience. I am going to be sent by him after I am blessed, like the apostles are at, at the ascension, and, and, and all sorts of other little details that, that we go through. Um, but it is a law gospel. It is a death and resurrection life. And so, of course, it never ends, right? This is, this is, again, baptismal, that every day I drown the, the sinful nature and then I rise to live a new life, right? And so uh, the worship on Sunday morning, I think, is, is being pulled into that to be reminded that I'm dead, that, that God kills me to death, as, as our professor would say, killed us to death. Um, and then, but that we have a resurrection and that we have permission to go through the darkness. It gives us that perspective as then we go out and truly worship our God as we live and die for others in our vocation. Um, and, and that death and resurrection, right? Every morning I get up and I say, I look at my baptismal certificate and I say, I'm not that, that sinful jerk anymore. I'm somebody new resurrected. Uh, I do that every morning until one day I don't at the resurrection of the dead. So the reality is that this baptismal life is a law and gospel, death and resurrection life. And that's, I think, what Jason was hitting on too, and, and I guess what maybe I've been trying to drive at it, it's not just putting L's and G's in a way that it's, when we talk about the divine service in the Lutheran sense, and what I would say in the small c Catholic sense, as it's meant to be historically, is not just a delivery of a bunch of information. And we say, here's L, Here's G, and we just take apart the words, right? We just go, okay, he just said a law word. He just said a gospel word. Um, but it is, it's an experience of these things. Um, as you mentioned, baptismal or, be, or being drawn into. It's not just the passing on of information, because I think sometimes uh, when people will say, well, the liturgy is boring, right? It's the same thing. Pastor says the same things week after week. Um, and if we just mean law gospel in that sense, then it is just kind of the tired old saying of lines. <clears throat> I'm sure this never happens in your house, but sometimes you can have Abigail with parents, a liturgy of a morning, right? Maybe when you were younger, you could get it up for school. And there's right the same commands, the same, maybe there's even the I love you when you get dropped off, whatever. Uh, the same words get spoken. If someone only had the text of those words, but didn't have like the experience of those mornings, right? When your old man uh, gets older and dies, which I hope isn't soon, he'll outlive me. <laughs> and one day, as maybe as difficult as as, uh, as your sisters, not you, made those mornings, right? When you think back, those mornings will be bigger than those words, if this is making sense. There will be a feel to them. There will be um, something that was a sentiment, even maybe a nostalgia. For something at the time, um, your dad might have been thinking, I'm so sick of having to wake them up for school and whatever else, right? Mm -hmm. um, 
you know, is there that with the divine service too? That if we're just, if we say law and gospel and divine service, and I think the average person is going to look at the hymnal and say, this is law, this is gospel, or if we're using, as Michael talked about, this is God to me, this is me to God, and say, okay, this is God to me, this is me to God, are we, we may be missing the fact that, um, that sometimes these things are, um, they're almost indistinguishable, right? That there, that there's there's stuff going on there that is never boring. It's only boring when we take it for granted. And so, it's this is just another morning of getting ready to go to school, whatever else. But that if we actually look back and thought about that everything that went into that, um, that that there's. I don't know if that's making sense. I'll stop there. But no, I, I I'm getting what you're saying, and maybe let me add some. Maybe take a a, a left turn here. Um, <clears throat> there's a couple things that we try very much to to point out that we, as Western, late modern or early postmodern, wherever we are, are uh, uh, capitalist Americans, just are completely blind to when it comes to. Uh, worship experiences and and the two things that i like to point out are we don't really understand sacred space we don't understand coming into the presence of god we don't we don't think about in where do we stand in relation to god wherefore both in the old testament and the new testament this was very powerful you had all these boundaries you're you are the you are the gentile islands you came into the holy land you came to the holy city you were in this court you're that court you're the holy place the most holy place there were barriers between you and god um, even in uh, the new testament we can think of the 10 lepers and what's the problem with the 10 lepers not that they were unthankful they were thankful in fact, they they went exactly. They did exactly what Jesus told them to do. They went to the and exactly what Moses told them to do. They went. They literally went to church. I'm pretty sure they were thankful, and to follow the the Old Testament laws of being inspected by the priests. The problem was is that they went to the temple to find God when God was standing right in front of them. So the location of where God is is important. Yes, God is everywhere, but He seeks to be found in certain places. So when we have put God up in heaven and there he remains, right, pietistic uh, uh, kind of influence in America, we don't think about coming to church as an encounter before God. And so that changes the tenor, that changes the architecture, that changes all sorts of things. But to your point, I think it, it does, it does uh, de-enhance, if I can make up a word, the experience Right, and then it becomes something that is at best didactic, mm-hmm. or it's just going through these <clears throat> these words. It's just words on a page that we repeat over and over again. And so then the old argument is, well, we're just going through the motions. So throw out the whole thing that we didn't really understand for for generations, and you replace it with different words, <laughs> right? <laughs> that yeah. that. End up probably you know don't have the haven't been tested by time and become quite quite shallow. I, I think the second and related thing is the whole meal aspect, and I won't go down that road unless we want to. But um, when we think of food in America, I mean, I think we can all admit that we have an unhealthy relationship with food in America, and part of it is we don't we don't savor it. 
Uh, part of it is we don't think of it as an experience, and that's because we see our, cell, our bodies as machines. So food is fuel. We just shove in some lettuce. Food <laughs> is fuel. We don't eat right. We don't eat. I mean, that's changing a little bit. But, I mean, uh, just, I mean, think about, like, when we were kids and you got the first microwave and you had a microwave dinner. You're like, we're practically the Jetsons, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, thankfully, that's changing. That's, that's seen as cheap and inauthentic. But... Um, uh, compare that to the rest of the history of the world where eating um, is as much a spiritual thing as is a physical thing. And because we don't understand that, it's very hard for us to understand the Garden of Eden. It's hard for us to understand uh, the dietary restrictions. It's hard to understand table fellowship, both in the Old and the New Testament, that it mattered who you ate with and how you did these things. And so that 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 physical uh, experience, I think, plays a part of this as well. Go ahead. No, and and, then, and this is good. So if I can go back to the, uh, I'm going to have you. I got a question for you, Abigail. There's no wrong or right, and your dad's not going to be embarrassed no matter what you say. Okay. But so you've gone off to college. Um, you haven't gone too far, but you've gone away. You were living on campus this last semester. Mm -hmm. um, did do you find or did you find? Now you're back home, so this might not be a good time to answer because you're on break. Mm -hmm. And maybe you're already sick of everybody again. <laughs> was home to you something different, maybe in a new way, when you were away in the dorms than when you were in it? If that makes sense. Um, yeah. Um, especially because, well, I have sisters, and so I was used to kind of a certain like dynamic and like kind of when I would get home from school or work and, you know, what we would do and now obviously living Hog with... Hog probably and talk about your... <laughs> oh, yeah. It's just <coughs> super fun. Um, but now, like, obviously, like, I live with my roommate or even if she goes home and I'm alone, it it definitely is was different. And so when I would go home, it would be, you know, not different because I still... It's not like I don't talk to my sisters when I'm at school, but it's like almost like we don't know what to do with each other right away. And so, yeah, it was kind of, it was weird. And like, it, it yeah, it felt, it was still familiar, but it felt unfamiliar almost because I had been even away for just a couple weeks. Yeah, and, I, and, and so what I'm thinking with in what you were saying, Michael, <clears throat> right, how much of the divine service is law and gospel in that sense too, right? I'm guessing sometimes, um, probably early on, Right, there's a sense of independence. You know, I don't know, I'm, I'm sure, you know, your dad never got on your nerves or, or mom or sister. <laughs> but there's, um, but how much law and gospel is there also just in the physical, the meal of that place and what it's tied to with the people doing these daily or weekly things again and again? I think of, um, so I, I was privileged. Um, Christmas Eve to go back and see the parish I had served and it was the first time I'd gone with my kids and my wife um, the pastor serving now I was doing a wonderful job and he was fine with us coming back on Christmas Eve but you go into that space and the Christmas Eve service wasn't that different than anything we would have done when I was there and and I found there was just both law and gospel um, there was people who weren't there because they've gone to heaven and the time I've been gone um, there was you know um, seeing people that you had served and, and giving rejoicing that they're still there. Um, there was, you know, what has changed in that space, what hasn't changed in that space. Um, and I think maybe sometimes we downplay this, um, 
in Lutheranism, and I don't think you, you would, Mike, and I think in class you probably play this up, um, and you, you mentioned this even, that God is vocational using us when we sing hymns, that the divine service is arranged in such a way that, that every Sunday um, is a preaching of law and gospel just with who you're with as well. Someone's going through sickness or suffering, and I'm reminded, law, I'm in a fallen world, and I'm going to go through sickness or suffering too. I would guess both you gentlemen here who have preached, I always got a kick out of when some people would say Lutheran services aren't emotional. I almost never had a Sunday where I looked out and someone wasn't in tears. Um, and I, I was, wanted to carry that, that bad, cross huh? with them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But um, no, and then God brings us, and what do we do? We 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 have the prayer of the day, and we pray for the people in our congregation who have good or bad. They just had a baby. They just had whatever else. And sometimes maybe we want to get away from it, right? There's um, everybody has people they make it get along with better or not better. But what does God do? And you you hit on this somewhat. He has us eat. He has us talk. Right, he has us um, these traditions of singing, whatever. I'll let any of you go. I'm going to stop talking now. But, but I think with law and gospel too, right? How much of that is there? Just that we bury people in that space, mm-hmm. but, but we also remember them on All Saints Day. Um, I don't know. Have at it, whoever. But yeah, I, I didn't mean I, to railroad anything. But I think it's just you know interesting to let the you know, and this is maybe a different direction too but that the power that comes with those rituals you know the which i think is you know i mean we've kind of touched on some of those things or talked about some of those things a bit but just you know the thing the the messages and the proclamations that carry along with that and i would say maybe the importance also of teaching and making sure people understand, you know, why you do some of the things that you do, because, um, you know, that, that, that's where I think you see some of those things take on greater significance and meaning too. And why they say, this is, this is something that I I don't just want to be here because it's Christmas, you know, but I want to be here because this thing that we only do once a year is part of, part of the service this year. Or, or part of the service this week, I should say. Um, and, you know, I, I think that's just, there's something to that too in the, that, that shared shared experience and the shared ritual as well and how that, you know, conveys that message and proclamation of law and gospel with it. I, uh, I took us too much a detour, didn't I? Mm-hmm. Um, well, I was going to say, I do think, and this is something we talk about in class a lot, is like people just <laughs> just going through the motions and going to church because you feel like it makes you a good Christian or it's something you have to do, but it is more of a personal thing. Like it's not just, it. like every week, like the service, it's for everybody, but it is, it's for you. And you know, every week as you move forward in your life and you get older <coughs> even just by a week, like you live more and you have different experiences you're not the same person you were last sunday maybe and so thinking about like the law and gospel and all the individual parts of a service as something that can apply to you personally rather than just something like broader can maybe help i guess not to make it seem like it's something that like is boring but something that you can i guess find new like ways to 
or find new understanding of God's word and the law and gospel individually and together, like each week and each Sunday. And I think that's good because I, you're putting the, the onus on maybe the person, right? We go, well, that's boring, so that mm-hmm. whatever. <coughs> well, wait a minute. Um, maybe you're boring. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> right. you know, if you don't yeah. know what's, and this is to Jason's point, um, like if if you don't know what's going on, that does. I, this is the analogy I would use it as a parish pastor. I go, listen, I, I am not going to go hunting with you on, on Saturday morning in the fall. I think that's the most boring thing in the world. Now you're going to say to me, well, you don't understand. You don't understand the the being one with nature. You don't understand the thrill of hunting, the camaraderie, and all that kind of stuff. And I go, oh, okay, okay. And I said, why don't you come to um, um, uh, the next time the symphony does a Johann Sebastian Bach cantata, and they're like, no, that's boring. And I'm going to say that's because you don't understand what's going on. Now, I, pray, I don't understand either. It's like either, then when we talk about NASCAR. Yeah. So um, the point is, is that you don't get to not know something and then call it boring. And so perhaps it's on the parish pastors to teach what's going on so that you don't fall into the trap of going through the motions. And then risk having something being thrown out for no other reason than entertainment value um, and then replacing it with something that probably is even more cheesy and has a shelf life of like one one hundredth of the whatever you're throwing out. And so we, we talk about one of the first things we talk about is we say there's three options. There's ritual and uh, no teaching. That's going through the motions both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, God slams that. That's not good. That's not acceptable. Going through the motions with no teaching. Then option number two is teaching without ritual. And I go, that's adequate, but it's near impossible because you're always going to have a ritual because you, unfortunately, you occupy time and space. So there's going to be a calendar. There's going to be a dress. You know, you're going to wear something. You're going to be in a building. Even if you're, even if you're a minimalistic person that says something about what you believe. So the sweet spot is that when there is both ritual and teaching, and I know I, I said this even as a fourth-generation pastor, nobody taught me why the Sanctus is so emotional, why, why that I should remember that this is the angel singing in heaven and this is my practice, my choir practice for heaven. That, and all um, kinds of saints on the other side of the altar yeah. that you buried. And that uh, when Isaiah says, Woe is me, a man of unclean lips, when the, the coal from heaven comes down to touch him that that couldn't be more applicable to holy communion Hmm. um i mean and that's just a drop in the bucket well and then to your point about emotions well um you you maybe don't understand what's going on when when you hand uh the body of christ to a uh newly widowed woman and say and who you have said you dine with with, with your husband in heaven and the unbreakable body of Christ. You are one with him, um, and, and only for this time you are separate. You are, you are going to be, you are one with him through the body of Christ, and I want you to come and have holy communion with the body of Christ. You try to do that without a tear in your You try to say that out loud, take and eat. Um, don't tell me about that. It's not emotional. It's about the right emotions, and the people who say that are usually... Um, used to and satisfied with shallow emotions. Now, with that said, I think there is something to be said about like a, a and funeral. And it's, it's emotional because it's it, it's not just addressing body or mind. It's not dividing the person. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and, and with that said, I think there is something to be said about like our funerals are a little bit uh, too stoic in the modern way of saying stoic. stoic. 
uh, rather than the wailing of just about every other culture. I mean, I get right. that. I get that. Um, but I think more of that is not so much. Notice what we do here. We say it's a, it's a race or a nationality. Oh, that's Northern European. It's probably more modernity. It's probably more enlightenment than it is. You know, we, we always go right to race and nationality when it's probably more of an intellectual uh, modernity. We are living in this philosophical era um, where we look at the church service as a didactic. The sermon is didactic. Like the sermon is straight out of calm class, how to, how to write a speech instead of a instead of a right first order like you had said abigail for you for you proclamation this is this is an emotional thing and i think i'll say pastor borderland um who is a friend of the show and has been on um when he preaches it's for you it is this is i am your pastor and i am telling you for you and he didn't care if you go away and can and and can remember the 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 three parts of his sermon Right. right. So uh, the, that a lot of it is trying to unlearn some of our modern Western ways of thinking about ourselves and our relationship with God. And I, so to get at, I think, what Abigail and you hit, um, part of being able to have that unfurling of the sanctas or to be um, to dig deeper about what's taking place, what's going on is having experienced this thing again and again in all kinds of life situations, right? With familiar people <clears throat> in a familiar place, um, hopefully with a familiar, a familiar pastor. Um, and that also, right, is, is law and gospel, right? How the Sanctus hits you um, or how um, what is grasped in the service, um, the familiarity, rather than familiarity breeding contempt, which it can do if it's thoughtful, the familiarity actually hopefully opens up a wonderful uh, divine sermon, right, in a way that that we at, at some point do feel like Isaiah, you know, um, unclean lips and I mean I used to my least favorite thing when people ask me what's my thing I'm happiest I don't do in the parish anymore is commune my wife I hated that um, my uh, we had MLS professors in the congregation and I'd rotate with who took what side sometimes depending on where she was sitting I always thought just what an amazing faith she had um, to come up and take communion from my hands when she knew me you know, she probably could accuse me of more than Satan on the last day, right? And yet she came to get that gift. Um, oh, yeah. And Cr- her- Christ in Shields has already been talked about being named St. Tricia. I yeah. believe there are. <laughs> but, yeah. I mean, but her <laughs> coming to commune was both law and gospel. It was law to me of, of who am I to be giving her the sacrament, but at the same time it was gospel of uh, yeah. God can use even me. He, she forgives, he forgives. And so maybe just to, to get to that to have the opportunity to grow into it. And I think, and I'll, I'll end with the building of the funeral thing you said, what is being able to wail at a funeral, yet also be told, do not be afraid, right? That's law and gospel, that we do this together, that we come together, that we have this familiar liturgy that we do, um, that I can let God have it, that I can say, you gave me this gift that was so good and it's going to be so hard not to have it. 
yet also do it in a place that were gathered for me to hear about the resurrection. Um, and, and maybe, I, like I said, I took this a different way, but I think, um, and, and to be fair, this is, I think, getting at the physicality aspect of things that, that you often hit on, um, you know, that, that, that this is experientially. Um, properly attuned emotions um, in line with um, a living word of God, but all right, I'll be done now and I'll let you guys go wherever and someone else can say that. No, what you've been thinking about like this law and gospel not being so easily, you know, like we think about that in preaching too, like, okay, I give you the gospel. Now I'm going to give you the third use of the law as if we were able to go into the mind of the thinkers. Right. But I, uh, sometimes we, we say people get a little upset about this, but I think it's just the truth. The reality of the matter is that, when I when I hear the gospel, that assumes that that I was a sinner, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. So I'm never far from the law, right? And that's why I think like when you get into heaven, are you going to be aware of the sins of your past? Somehow, some way, yes, because Jesus is going to be up there and he's portrayed as the Lamb. And he's got wounds. Why did he die? Why is this so great, right? I mean, the other thing is to make me something less than human, and that is to not know about evil and not to know about that. Like, I'm, I've been wiped clean like I'm a hard drive kind of thing, you know? So it's just always there, right? And it's an emotional experience. And I think as you grow, and we all three of us would say as we grow in our marriages, that we appreciate our wives more and more um, just because you've been through so much and not just the, you know, the, the milestones of life of, you know, birth and kids and confirmations and all that graduations, but that, um, you've done damage to each other and you still want to be around each other. It's really a powerful thing. It's, and that moment that was law when you were in the, the midst of it, you yeah, were both yeah, sinners. It becomes yeah. almost gospel later yeah. that now you love me right, through that. Right. And I, and I think that that's something that, you cannot explain, you have to live, right? And so this, again, is theologian of, of the cross language that there's not such a thing as a theology of the cross as it is a theologian of the cross, right? Yeah, so. Yeah, I think, you know, from, as as a preacher, um, really had uh, grown to appreciate the opportunities for illustration and application for, of law and gospel that you find in, the divine service and um, some of those circumstances, I think too, you know, you see that especially with talking about that at different times through life, you know, and, and experiencing these things that, uh, you know, the, when people sing certain hymns, especially, you know, that cause they associate that with, you know, this particular instance and this particular setting and, um, you know, what a challenge that can be sometimes to make it through that. But, uh. but at the same time, it's just, you know, that again, that, that shared experience. And I think, you know, sometimes too, you'd hear people that, um, say, well, I, I had just gone through this traumatic experience in life, whether it was grieving the loss of a loved one, or maybe just some other challenge, you know, health, whatever it is, relationship and, uh, you know, going to church is going to be, you know, the hardest thing, or I'm not looking forward to going back to church. And yet at the same time, you know, that's exactly where you want to be to, to receive that. And, you know, together with those, to, to receive that comfort and encouragement that, you know, only the gospel can give in those circumstances while at the same time, you know, gathering with those, you know, saints of God that, 
yes, are also sinners, but are also wanting to, you know, share that path with you, um, as you walk it, you know, and cause more likely than not, they've been in some of those challenging spots too, and know how important that is. So, yeah, I think that all that I think kind of comes together, you know, um, and to not be afraid to look for those opportunities for illustration and application and, um, and to not be afraid to experience that and appreciate that as an individual yourself, to not, to not be afraid of that or to stay, to stay away from that, but to say, this is good. This is beneficial. This will be helpful for me. I said I wasn't going to talk anymore. I think we're all done. I think that was a really good discussion. Thanks. Um, um, this is my wheelhouse, but it was good for you guys to uh, give me some insight that I never thought about as well, too, from the pastoral perspective and from a student's perspective, too. So the, the divine service is all about law and gospel. It's about being pulled into the life of Christ. It's all about the gospel, finally. It's all about that we are free from the burden of trying to please God and that we can go out in our vocations, love neighbor, uh, free to be who we are intended to be. So, dear listeners, um, as you go forward, we always want to make sure that you let the bird fly. Another round, another round.